Well, like AI is just a technology. It just means artificial intelligence. So we're using something to a tool, right? To think for us in some ways. So any tool that you're using that's thinking for you, where you can kind of go a little bit on autopilot is technically AI. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. AI is a terrible name for the latest integration of how we act with data information and the ghost of our own machine. It's a curious term, isn't it? Artificial intelligence. And it leads me to the uncomfortable question of, well, just what is intelligence? Is it a capacity that is woven into biological life? Is it an innate property of complex interactive systems and the way they sort themselves into processes and patterns that are mimicked throughout the natural world? And just how would you define intelligence in the first place? And beyond that, what kind of intelligence are we talking about? The most curious and marvelous thing about the human animal is the way that we have extended our senses and capacities through the use of tools. Everything from fire to nuclear fission, from the selective breeding of plants to the application of synthetic hormones, in every instance, we create tools that in turn shape us. For a long time now, we have been synthetic beings, part biology, part tool. Shaped by the tools that increase our capacity to influence the world, and on and on the evolutionary cycle goes. How's your spelling these days? Your handwriting? Can you find your way home from a place you're unfamiliar with? Do you have the capacity to smell a change in the weather, or name the herbs in a formula, or remember the law point of the small intestine channel, or has all of that been offloaded? to an app on your palm-top computer. Humans have never stepped away from a new tool. The question is only one of embrace. Tools are rarely used only in the way that the creator originally had in mind. Look at any hand-wringing issue, and you'll see yet another way that clever humans have found a way to apply an off-label use to a tool or a technology. This is where I suspect intelligence comes in, and why I think calling our newest information tools artificial intelligence misses the mark, because there's nothing artificial about intelligence. It's a natural byproduct of complex emergent systems. It goes with the territory of being able to pull signal out of noise, to distill information out of data, and to use data to self-reflectively make meaning. The silicon-based intelligence that we are now interacting with in a conversational way, it's not artificial. It's synthetic. Not synthetic as in fake, but synthetic in the way a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Synthetic in that capacity arises as the wholeness of a system gains emergent properties that include, but are not necessarily reflective, of the parts. Are we playing with fire with these synthetic, non-human intelligences? Of course we are. And no surprise there, we've been playing with fire for a long time now. Can you imagine a time when written language was being developed? I suspect there were 
early adapters that prophesized a way for the ancestors to speak to the living through the recording of thoughts through time. And then there were those who warned that the ability to capture the wisdom of the ancients through the telling and retelling of living story, that capacity would be lost in the squiggly transcription to the written word. I suspect the question of how will this tool change us is as old as when we first noticed that our tools changed us. Dream as we may have an hedonic time before we had the capacity to shape the world, that's not the time in which we live. In this conversation with Heidi Lovey, we take a peek at how our latest intelligence tools could be of use and how they might affect our clinical work and how we approach it. Love tech or thoroughly hate it? This is a conversation worth an hour of your attention. Stay with us. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hey guys, it's Chloe from Radical Roots, and I am here to give you the lowdown on everything you need to know about hemp. So first and foremost, I think it's incredibly important that we all understand and appreciate that cannabis overall, hemp and marijuana, have been a part of our pharmacopoeia for thousands of years. I also think it's really important that as these different herbs start to trend in our society, that we as practitioners who have the most extensive herbal training of any practitioners that I know of in the world, at least, um, that we are the ones who are leading the charge, educating our patients and our communities about how to use herbs safely and effectively. See, I started studying this plant about five years ago when my son Remy was diagnosed with his rare genetic disorder, and this disorder causes multiple disabilities and intractable epilepsy. So clearly, I went down the CBD route for the epilepsy and... What I found was that people really just don't understand how to use herbal medicine. All of the products were one size fits all. They were not honoring the plants. They were using shitty extraction techniques and crappy mass farming techniques. And it just really wasn't up to my standards as an herbalist or as a mom. Thus why I started Radical Roots and thus why I'm here today. So what's really fun about hemp is it's so safe. It's so effective. It's such a beautiful plant, and I'm hoping that after today's talk, you will know more about it and be just as inspired as I am to use this both in your practice and in your personal life. So I'm going to start with the easy questions, and we're going to get more complicated as we go. So please bear with me as we run through this whole thing. So first, is hemp the same thing as marijuana? Short answer is yes, but also no. So the cannabis family is the family of plants that have both marijuana and hemp. In the case of marijuana, you're going to have cannabis plants that have been grown and bred to potentiate the amount of THC in the plant. So THC is a cannabinoid that acts upon the CB1 receptors, which are mainly located in the brain and the nervous system. 
And these can cause the classical psychotropic effects that you commonly see, feel, hear about. So THC can actually be used medicinally, and there's an increasing amount of research elucidating how that works, but many, many people use it for neurological disorders like Parkinson's, epilepsy, or MS. People use it for oncology support and pain management. What I think is really interesting is that CBD and THC actually compete for the same receptors in the brain. So if somebody is either overdosing on THC, you can give them some CBD to help counterbalance that effect. But also, if you're working with somebody with one of those more significant disorders and they're looking to have THC in their products but don't want the psychotropic effects, then you can increase the amount of CBD and find the ratio that works well for them. So they're getting the medicinal qualities of the THC but less of the psychotropic effects. Hemp, on the other hand, is cannabis that has less than 0.3% THC. So hemp can be grown to make all sorts of materials like clothing and paper, and that's what we consider industrial hemp. But hemp can also be grown for its medicinal qualities, which typically means that hemp is grown to potentiate the amount of CBD that's found in the plant. So CBD is one of the main cannabinoids found in cannabis plants and can account to 30 to 40% of the plant when it's grown correctly. And CBD has been shown to have so many clinical applications has no psychotropic effects, and is incredibly safe. The reason that CBD is so incredibly effective is the similar reason to how acupuncture is so unbelievably effective. It's the endocannabinoid system. So, discovered in the early 90s, the endocannabinoid system is considered the master regulatory system for both the brain and the body. So this system is made up of receptors that are located throughout the body, And it works to maintain a level of homeostasis, or what we like to consider the Goldilocks zone. So the primary receptors are the CB1 receptors, which are located in the brain and the nervous system, and the CB2 receptors, which are primarily found in the immune system, but are also located throughout the body. As it turns out, we make our own cannabinoids. They're called endogenous cannabinoids, or endocannabinoids. And they're called anandamide, which is also considered the bliss molecule, or 2-AG. So these two molecules work directly upon both the CB1 and CB2 receptors, as does THC. But CBD works differently. When we're under stress, whether it's physical or psychological, our body releases endocannabinoids into the system. Now, unlike neurotransmitters and hormones, endocannabinoids are broken down directly after they're used by different enzymes. This rapid breakdown of endocannabinoids can lead to a state of deficiency in cannabinoids. But what CBD does is it breaks down one of those enzymes so that we are able to have more of the anandamide, that endocannabinoid, available for our system. What I find particularly interesting is this idea of endocannabinoid deficiency. So we used to have hemp in our food daily for thousands of years. It was an intricate part of our lives and it was a part of the feed of the animals that we were eating. So when we took hemp out of the diet in the 19th century, we also increased our stress loads, both physical and psychological. And now we're sort of running at what I would consider an endocannabinoid deficiency. So that's part of why I think that the hemp boom and the CBD boom was such a big deal was because so many people are just running at this deficiency state that once they were able to flood their endocannabinoid system 
with these exogenous cannabinoids, everybody was feeling so incredibly good that it was such a game changer. This is why I actually have come to the conclusion that it's really essential for people to be taking CBD extracts as a part of their daily supplement routine, and particularly at least when you're under a particular amount of stress, and that could arguably be all of us all of the time. (laughs) So next we've got the entourage effect, and I've got to say it is my absolute favorite thing when Western medicine actually catches up to knowledge that our medicine has known for thousands of years. So this is the idea that the whole is greater than the parts. Fancy that. So in cannabis, whether it's hemp or marijuana, not only do you have the cannabinoids, but you have terpenes. And so anybody who's smelled cannabis knows that it has a very unique and distinct smell. Those are the terpenes. And so each plant has a different terpene profile and each terpene has a different medicinal quality. So it's really important that these terpenes are honored in the final product. And so not only do we have the cannabinoids and the terpenes, but we've got other phytochemicals that are really essential. And then hemp is also a really highly dense mineral heavy plant. So I think that that's one of the reasons why our products with radical roots are so effective because we use a spagyric processing technique that gets those minerals into the final product, which I think that are those are essential for potentiating the healing actions of the herbs. Since cannabis products have had such dramatic and wonderful effects on such a wide variety of conditions, uh, pharmaceutical companies have obviously taken notice. And also, I'd like to note that a survey in 2019 showed that almost 50% of people who were able to get on a high-quality CBD extract were able to get off of their pharmaceuticals. So let me tell you that there has been no shortage of hoops for me to jump through as an owner of a CBD company that is trying to put out good herbal medicine and educate and empower people around their choices when it comes to health. But what's interesting is that the research is incredibly clear on this. So despite there being a ton of money and a big push on these pharmaceuticals, um, research shows that the pharmaceutical isolates are not only less effective than complete spectrum hemp, but they have over four times the amount of severe adverse reactions. So it's much more safe and much more effective to take a whole plant extract. And also I have talked to pharmacists who are experts in this field who have said that it's also much safer to take the whole plant extracts in combination with different pharmaceuticals, much less of a chance of a significant reaction. Next, the quality of your product is essential. So hemp is what we would consider a hyperaccumulator. So that is incredible. It means that hemp is actually able to draw toxins from the environment. It also potentiates topsoil. I mean, it's really miraculous the ways in which this plant can not only heal us as humans and our pets, (laughs) but it can also really truly help heal our planet in such a beautiful, beautiful way when it's grown respectfully. That being said, if you're getting a product that is not organically grown or that does not have testing for heavy metals, pesticides, etc., then you're going to get that in the final product. So first and foremost, please make sure that you're working with a company that you know is doing that appropriate testing. Next, you really want to look at the extraction techniques, and I'll break down the main ones for you really quickly. So CO2 extraction is considered the gold standard. 
And CO2 extraction creates a very clean product and it extracts a high amount of cannabinoids per pound. Unfortunately, CO2 is a liquid gas and only extracts the nonpolar chemicals. That means that it's not very effective at preserving the terpenes and some of the other phytochemicals. And it's also not water soluble. Next, we've got an ethanol extraction, which is generally the best way to go. So an ethanol extraction can be great because it extracts not only the non-polar chemicals, but also the polar components as well. But the main concern is making sure that they're using organic products and there are minimal amounts of the residue at the end of the process. So what we use at Radical Roots is spagyric extraction. And it's also what my friend Fiona uses for bioherbology and she is brilliant and her products are amazing. Um, but this ancient alchemical extraction technique uses organic grape ethanol, and we use that to extract the essence of the hemp and the Chinese herbs that we put in our products. So this creates a tincture of all the terpenes, the cannabinoids, as well as all of the phytochemicals in the herbs and the hemp. From there, the hemp and the herbs are burned at high temperatures for six to eight hours. From the ashes, water is used to reconstitute the mineral and salt components of the plants and add them back to the tincture. It is so cool to watch. Please check it out on our social media. So from a spiritual perspective, we are joining the body and the spirit. And from a chemical perspective, we're adding back the salts and minerals that are so important to create cofactors to help the plant be more effective in its healing functions. So it's really whole plant medicine. My last tip is I would just keep an eye out for products that have incredibly high levels of CBD per bottle, unless the price point accounts for it. So many people are just using a small amount of complete spectrum hemp extract, and then they're getting very cheap CBD isolates and dumping that in the bottle so that they're able to say that they have a high CBD count. They're able to say that they have complete spectrum extracts but most of it is very cheap and poorly, <laughs> poorly effective CBD isolate. And it appears that I've run out of time, so I'm going to stop yabbering, but I have so much more information for you. So check out my interviews with Michael and previous episodes of Geological. Feel free to follow us on RadicalRootsHerbs.com and holler with any questions. It's truly such an incredible honor to work with other practitioners. Truly, I'm so grateful for your support, and I wish you nothing but the greatest success in your practices. You guys are all my heroes. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Heidi Lovey back to Geological. Hi, how are you? Good to be back. Good to have you back. Hey, we're here to talk about acupuncture and AI. How do I know I'm actually talking to Heidi Levy and not some damn bot? Because I told you this is like the uncurated visual that like people aren't getting. This is not the Instagram version this morning. I know, but AI is like supposedly smart enough that we can't distinguish it from human beings. How do I know when I'm talking to you? Not yet. We're, we're about a year off from that. So, <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about AI and acupuncture and you know how this might affect all of us and everything. I don't even know where to begin with AI, which is why I'm so excited to talk with you about it. Yeah, I think you know where we need to begin is we're already using it. And I don't mean that in a bad way, right? But it's insidiously been with us for 20, 30 years. Like examples of AI are like calculators. Remember that Casio calculator you used back in the 90s that could like calculate like 
torus shapes and you use for calculus. I mean, that's technically AI. It's technically artificial intelligence. So it's been with us. Smartphones are AI. If you're using unified practice or you're using JNAP, technically, like any sort of EMI software is AI. How is it AI? Well, like AI is just a technology. It just means artificial intelligence. So we're using something to a tool, right, to think for us in some ways. So any tool that you're using that's thinking for you, where you can kind of go a little bit on autopilot, is technically AI, right? I think where, you know, we're starting, we're really kind of in this Prometheus moment, right? And there's only a handful of like these Promethean moments, like in human evolution, right? So like, Think about fire, like that totally, you know, the discovery of fire, the discovery of the wheel, the discovery of certain, you know, like the cotton gin, right? These are all the printing press. These are all Promethean moments where we brought in a technology that changed us socially, culturally, neurologically in some way, right? And so we're sitting right at a Promethean moment where we're looking at this technology that's kind of been with us in infancy for a while, right? You know, think about um, the calculations it took to get someone to the moon. Like in those first calculations, they're all done by hand. I know, amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing, right? But you look at the reams of paper that they used to do those calculations and, you know, they're able to launch someone into space manually, quite literally manually, right? where now you could probably do those calculations in a one-hundredth of that time on your phone. So it is with us already. I think where we're starting to get nervous, though, is the chatbots, right? We're starting to get nervous with how neurologically AI is developing on its own. It's developing its own personality and how we're interfacing with it. And I think this is not a matter, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not here like ringing the bell of doom by any stretch of the imagination, but this is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so, you know, when you and I were kind of just chatting offline a couple weeks ago about AI, my, my big thing is that, you know, as a community, we're still doing a 4,000-year-old medicine, right? Like we're a little bit of Luddites, <laughs> No way, a little, you know, and so, you know, I, I, I wanted to start breaching this conversation with community and with colleagues and students, you know, that we need to be getting our arms around this. Because remember, you and I, I mean, now I'm dating ourselves, right? But like you and I remember like writing the resumes that said like in the early, like late 90s, early aughts, like internet savvy, <laughs> Microsoft fluent, Excel proficient. I mean, you wouldn't dare put that on a resume today. Like, you'd look like an idiot. It's like, who isn't internet savvy? You know, but a lot of people are not GPT chat savvy. They don't know or they're backing away from it. And so that's kind of where we're at right now, I think. Okay. So just a couple of things. I just want to put a pin in a few things because I don't want to forget. Prometheus moment. We're going to come back to that in just a second. I think that's really, really important. Chat GPT, right? Now we're able to talk to AI in a, in a very natural language way. Well, hold on. Have you, have you gotten on Chat GPT yet? It's okay if you say no. Have you done it yet? I have experimented with it a little bit. And okay, so here's the thing. 
I'm not a tech phobe. I made my living with the internet back in the 80s. Not the internet. I made my living with computers before the internet back in the 80s because it was a new technology that was coming along. I thought it was really cool and interesting. I taught myself how to use word processors and things like that. Before I knew it, I had a job as a consultant at companies that I had no business being in, helping them with computer solutions. Those word processors were AI. With Yes, with word processors and in the very, very, very early graphic stuff like PageMaker, like PageMaker 101, right? And it was cool and it was fun. And it was like, oh, I can figure this shit out. And people would say, uh, Michael Max, we need to do X, Y, Z. Can you know? Can you teach us to do that? And I would always say yes, even though I didn't know how to do it because I knew I could figure it out. Now, I get it that we're probably in a moment like that again with the AI and the chat GPT and all that stuff. Again, I'm not particularly technical phobic, but I don't even know where to begin. Before I knew where to begin, now I don't know where to begin. It can be overwhelming. And, you know, and I think that's why a lot of people are backing away from it, right? It's overwhelming. And I don't know where to start. Like, I'm happy to, I think I'm happy to start. But I get one email from some guy who's like, here's the latest in AI stuff. And he's always got at least a dozen links at the end of every email with like the latest, newest, here's a, here's a thing for like, you know, writing term papers, or here's a thing for generating images, or here's a thing for getting acupuncture points, whatever. There's so much. I don't know where to begin. Well, and you're not going to be using all of it. God, no. Are you kidding? I'm an acupuncturist. I'm busy. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's the same way. Like, let me use the example of Excel, right? I think, you know, Excel as a tool, Microsoft Excel as a tool, like, look, Um, A lot of people know this about me, but how I got through Chinese medicine school was I worked in an investment bank doing project management. I did not know that. Yeah. So I worked as a project manager in an investment bank, right? I was there for like the Bear Stearns merger, and that's how I paid for Chinese medicine school. And it's how it was my second job, first couple of years, right, of private practice. Because, you know, those were the days when you had to hustle. It was private practice or nothing. And so I was steeped in databases and I was steeped in Excel. And I'm going to tell you, Excel as a tool is incredibly powerful. And people are only using, especially in our community, are maybe using Excel only to like 1% or 2% of its capabilities, if that. Because we actually don't need the other 99, 98. Like, do you really need to be doing like, pivot tables and VLOOKUPs and like complicated, no, you don't unless you're working with like large data sets, right? It's the same way with AI. Like you can get these like, you know, people are making a lot of money off of chat right now, GPT chat, they're making a lot of money off of AI because it is a form of capitalism, right? Like they're trying to sell us on all the things you can do with it. But honestly, like our community, we're not going to be using like 98, 99% of it, right? So things you can do, like you can get on and, for example, if you wanted to know every single formula in the Shan Han Lun that has Da Huang in it, it'll find that for you in 30 seconds, right? If you want to say like, oh my gosh, I want to use the formula Yue Juan, right? But it has Shan Chu in it, which has gluten. And I can't use a gluten herb for this particular 
patient, what could I use instead? Right? You might not have that on top of mind. You might be having a blank day. You just might not know, right? You pop that in and it'll give you like three replacements on the spot. So those are ways that I think our community, like we're going to be using AI in the future is to help us herbally, to help us like research things, to help putting things together. But where, but this is another reason I wanted to talk about this is where AI is right now is it's in its infancy. And it's important to understand that it's pulling its information from the web. And we all know that the web is kind of a cesspool. It's a dirty, dirty place. Well, it's uh, uncurated. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes, we will go. That's, that's very, yes, diplomatic. The web is very uncurated at this point. You know, and so same with Excel, same with anything. Like the information is, um, coming out is only as good as the information going in. And so if you have like dirty data going in, you're going to have dirty data coming out. And the issue with the web is there's so much disinformation, there's so much misinformation, right? There's so much old information that AI is not at the point where it can differentiate, right? So it's, you, you could ask, you know, certain questions and just makes crap up, right? It's like a teenager who doesn't want to say, I don't know. So AI, and, and a lot of the developers are just like, we don't know why it's making crap up. Like, we have no idea why it's just, like, spitting, not, not false information, but you can't always trust the information that's coming out of it. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Anne Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Well, it sounds a bit like the human mind. There's all kinds of stuff floating around in our head that we've swallowed without perhaps a lot of consideration. So we have beliefs based on something that we feel or something that someone that we trust told us. It may or may not be true. And yet we live our lives as if it is. Maybe it's not that different than the human mind. It's not. But, you know, one of the things that we're really good at in Chinese medicine is critical thinking. Are we? Oh, well, we should be. <laughs> we should be, right? We should be. And we, we have the possibility to be. And we have some great tools to help guide us in that if we use them. If we use them. If we use them. And so, you know, we are at a point right now where 
if you're going to be engaging with AI in any way, like you need really strong critical thinking skills. Because the other thing that's happening with AI right now, and, and, you know, at the time of this recording, like what you and I say, Michael, could be outdated in two weeks. It could be outdated in a month. So between the recording and when like this goes out to community, right? Like some of this information could change because it's hap- it's changing so fast, right? But AI right now is just observing. It's observing and watching. And imagine, imagine the type of information, because that's what we do in the treatment room. We observe and we watch in order to garner information. And so that's where AI is right now. It's observing, it's watching, it's watching us, it's watching what we're putting into the internet. And it's starting to put pieces together, starting to build actually neural connections. Now, that being said, you know, Jeffrey Hinton, who is the kind of um, godfather of AI, if you will, he was the chief scientist at Google, and he's been working on AI since the 80s. You know, he actually quit Google to start speaking against AI. Like, we're seeing a lot of, like, tech giants speaking against it because... Um, they've had to do some mental gymnastics in order to keep themselves in the game. You know, so for example, like Jeffrey Hinton was saying like, well, I'm studying AI, but not for nefarious reasons, because I'm a good guy, right? That's, that's not what often happens with tools is like the, this dangerous tool is safe with me because I'm a good guy. So I'm not taking Pentagon money. I'm not using AI for weaponry, you know, and if I don't develop this, somebody else will. So at least like a good guy is developing this, right? But you get the wrong tool in the wrong hands and it can be used for some scary things. And I think intuitively, that's where a lot of people are leaning right now, right? Yes, there's, there is that. I've also seen some things in the media about various high-profile people saying, eh, we need to slow this down, maybe, maybe put a ban on it for a month, like ban on development. But exactly what you were saying, look, there's some characters somewhere else, like in India, they're going full speed ahead with it, okay? What's China doing? I don't know what China's doing. Nobody knows what China's doing. But are they putting the brakes on it? Probably not. So it would perhaps be to our detriment to put the brakes on it because, yes, it is that, well, we may not be good guys (laughs) because who is a good guy anyway? But if our neighbor has it and we don't, now we're in danger. So there's that. So we're getting into like some freaky deaky politics. Freaky deaky politics. There's an, you know, an arms race, so to speak, which, you know, we've had ever since, you know, Og many, many, many decades ago discovered that a sharp rock could hurt people. It's like, oh, let's work with more sharp rocks. But I'm the good guy. Like I wouldn't hurt someone, right? Well, I would hurt someone that was trying to hurt, you know, I'm hurt those other fuckers over there. So now we're playing mental gymnastics. Well, it maybe it's just the way humans are, right? We're kind of tribal and it's hard to get away from us and them. And I think, you know, when we imagine ourselves using AI, we imagine, you know, there's different scenarios that have shown up in like pop culture, right? So there's like the artificial intelligence of like Terminator and Skynet. And some people are like, God, we're going towards Skynet. And then there's other people that are like in blank Black Panther, where like the sister is using AI for like scientific development and she's, you know, using it as a tool or like you're Tony Stark, right? Like an Iron Man, you know, so like we can think of like all these like, like these cool ways to be like, okay, like 
figure this out for me? Can you help me figure out this formula? Can you help me figure out this point prescription? Like, give me like the data on like MS and acupuncture, like blah, 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 blah. And I think that's where we are imagining ourselves in a community using AI, right? It's like kind of like acupuncture Tony Starks, whereas, you know, um, in other like in other scenarios, just like I would I would never use it to, you know, like bomb Canada or something like I, I don't know if I can say that, but like I would never use it to attack Canada. And no, you, you probably wouldn't the same way that you wouldn't use like an Excel database to mine social security numbers from the dark web. But somebody could do that. Somebody could. So this is. I think in some ways, Heidi, this is our Promethean moment where we have a new kind of fire. Fire is awesome, man, because like barbecued baby back ribs over a nice slow cook fire, mm-mm-mm, right? And fire can heat us in the winter. It's great. Fire can burn your damn house down. Promethean moment. I, I think it, I, I love your term, Promethean moment. Oh, that's not me. That's a Thomas Friedman thing. So- Thomas Friedman was talking about this like months ago. I don't know if you read Thomas Friedman. So he's an op-ed writer for like the New York Times, a good Minnesota hometown boy who's always kind of been on the edge of a lot of like political and technological things, right? And so I think it was in an article he had back in December, November, where he was like, this is a Promethean moment. And like that term, like the way it's sticking with you stuck with me because it's so visual and it's so impactful to understand that we are on the precipice of a this change, right? And we have to decide how we're going to engage with that change, what we want to do with it. And it's a hard decision. Well, you said something earlier too, that as it changes our neurology as well. Okay. So it's, so it's kind of a two-way street in a way, you know, there's this, uh, old story from the Bible about the Jews leaving Israel. They leave bondage, and they wander in the damn desert for 40 years because they actually can't see they're in the promised land. <laughs> but there's this whole thing about they wander in the desert for 40 years because there's a generation that needs to die off before they can get to where they're going. Phase change. And you know, you and I are of an age, look, we're not digital natives. How do we know we're not digital natives? Because we talked about being internet savvy at one point in time. People that are digital natives, younger folk than us, internet savvy, like that doesn't make sense. They just are. And it seems to me that with AI, we're at a place, those of us that are freaking out about it, probably of a, you know, we're citizens of a different generation. And we remember, we remember the old country, but now we're living in the new country. We're foreigners in this land. Well, but, but also, like, look, like, biblical times, if you made it to 40 years old, you're a great-grandmother twice over, and you were, like, old as AF, right? Like, you're 40 today, and, like, you're kind of still in your adult teenage years. Yeah, you might still be living in your parents' basement. Probably, right? Like, probably not that I'm in my mom's basement, but, you know, but like, you know, the the person who's going to be the oldest living person in human history is probably alive today, right? So we're looking at people making it to 80, 100, 120, beyond. So we don't need to be a digital native to be interacting with this thing, but like, we do need to kind of use our historical knowledge in order to help guide like the next generation because look 
I used to be a voracious reader. Voracious. When I moved from my school apartment to like my first kind of like big girl apartment without any roommates or anything, I had to donate 15 boxes of books. You know, it was like, it was a habit. And then I moved to the next apartment, it was another 12 boxes of books. Like I loved reading. Like reading was just like core to my identity. I usually had two, three, four books going at one time. I can't tell you the last, like I can't tell you the last time I got through a whole book was maybe a year ago, right? Because I'm engaging with the material and reading the material in a different way. And I don't always have the same kind of attention span that I did once upon a time. Yes, our neurology has changed. The neurology has changed. And I, I went back to reading teen fiction, like before bed at night, right? Because like, I was like, I actually have to retrain my concentration for things because I'm kind of, I'm not ADHD, but I'm mimicking ADHD, right? Where like, I can either be like super hyper-focused or I can't focus on anything. So I need to retrain that focus. And you know, it has like uh, the interaction in the past, you know, even just 10 years with technology has started to rewire things. And, you know, how often now do people go like in, in clinic or the room like, oh, my God, let me just like go check the phone. Let me go check what, you know, like, let me go check like my resources for this. And we go into an app for something. Whereas like you and I remember, like we didn't have to go into an app. No, we had to go into our little what do we call that? What did was that Sherlock Holmes term? A memory palace. We had to have our own little memory palace. Yeah, yeah. Which does rewire your neurology in a way. It does. It does. It makes you a different kind of practitioner. So, and I think you know it is going to change the field. But again, like we're seeing the field change as well, because you know, for example, when I went into to to the field, it was private practice or nothing. There is no there is no getting a job with with someone, right? Like here in New York now, like people graduating, it's not like, what are you going to do? It's who are you going to go work for? And so the field is changing, but a lot of people know that Henry McCann is a mentor of mine. He's been my mentor for, I don't know, the past like 10, 15 years. And before the pandemic, we went out to dinner, like it was me, Henry and Donna Mon. We were out to dinner and Henry goes, I have, I have a gift for you. And I was like, oh, that's very sweet. And he hands me, and I'm showing this to you, Michael, this like little cup, right? This like little like teacup, sake cup. And I was just like, oh, okay, thanks, Henry. Like, that's really nice, right? Like, I mean, what do you say is like, not really my jam, but okay. And he hands me this cup and he goes, this is from the Qing dynasty. And this is, you don't know where it's been before and you don't know where it's going to go after. Your job is just to steward it right now. It was here before you. This little cup will be here after you. And it's the same way with the medicine, right? It was here before us. It's going to be here after us. It's its own organic, beautiful thing. And we're here just to steward it. But we are here to steward it through this kind of like AI moment right now. And how do we navigate this historical medicine, right, with, with new technology? And we'll do it, right? But, but we need to do it consciously. And we need to do it ethically, I feel like. Agreed. And I suspect those are the exact questions for any powerful technology that comes along. How am I going to use this? Right? See, it's the old Spider-Man thing. With great power comes great responsibility. So so there we are. And, and you know, I love your image, you know, of being like an acupuncture AI Tony Stark Iron Man kind of character. I, 
I like that. Right? That's I mean, that's an archetype that you could aim for. It is. Plus, he's got great cars. He's got <laughs> what a dude thing. Look, look at the cars. <laughs> I'm a guy. Come on, I'm looking at the cars. Well, but you know, like I, you know, I, and I think where we're gonna, where we have to be careful with it too, right? So I, I played around a little bit with it because we're seeing it change websites now. It's going to be changing SEO. So if you don't know what SEO is, search engine optimization, where your website, if somebody were to type in, you know, like St. Louis acupuncture, where do you pop up in that list? Do you pop up on the first page? Do you pop up on the fifth page? What puts you on that first page is search engine optimization, SEO. So a lot of people are kind of breaking the codes using AI to say like, what words do I need? What phrases do I need? How do I reprogram my website in places to get on that first page? Now, where AI is going to change us also is how we actually quote unquote Google things, right? Google is now a verb to Google. Right. And, and there's another example of AI, early AI, Google search, and, and the various search engines that came before Google, primitive AI, right? Yeah, well, because it wasn't thinking like on its own, right? Like, it didn't have deductive reasoning. Thinking on its own, that still terrifies me. I, I can't get the... Did you watch Ex Machina? Did you see that movie? Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. still... Every time... So here's the thing, right? <laughs> Got a little Pete. PTSD around it, I think. I think about that movie, and I think about AI, and it's like, oh, shit. And I look at the weirdness in the world, and it's like, yep, see, AI is already out there. It's not a matter of, is it going to get out there? <laughs> it clearly already is. But that, you know, that's just me and my fantasy. That's the thing I worry about. So I just kind of want to ground that. I like what you're talking about in terms of it's a tool. It's a powerful tool. We can use it with our medicine to better understand our medicine, and to better help our patients. So I, I want to focus on that. Again, giant, like, where do I jump in to this river? Because it's a big raging river. Could you walk me through where I can begin to use it and be able to get a little bit of skill and be able to get a little bit of confidence and, and use it for good? How do I start? Where do I start? So start with Chinese formulas. Because, you know, the thing is, like, the pool's not too, too dirty with formulas, right? So meaning, you know, formulas tend, for the most part, like, tend to be pretty straightforward. You know, what is the information that you need in a formula? Well, you need to know, like, how the formula is constructed, how it's written, who's the emperor, who's the envoy. You need to know, like, what formulas are contraindicated when, Right. When would I not use a specific formula if somebody's on whatever medication regimen? Right. So I think one of the places that in the field, a lot of people don't have confidence, especially newer practitioners or anyone who is has been in the field less than 10 years. You know, one of the places people continue to struggle is with herbs, because honestly, like, look, herbs, it's a lifetime study. It is a lifetime study and you continue to study and I continue to discover new things with herbs, right? But when you're trying to understand herbs and craft a formula and kind of know like, what can I switch out? What can I safely switch out? You know, this formula calls for like jusha, like that's, we don't use that anymore. Like we ain't using that, like, cause that would like, you know, <laughs> clog the brain, you know, that would create insanity. Like we're not using these 
obsolete herbs. So what can I use instead? And to use, so that would be my, my entry point that I would suggest is just start engaging with AI with herbs and herbal formulas and see what you can kind of garner with it. I like that idea. But again, and and I'm not asking this, you know, in a rhetoric sort of way, I, I actually like, like, what would I even type in and ask AI about that? I mean, how do I even talk to AI about it? Okay, so you might hear some clicking here. So let me. We're doing this real time. We're, we're, we're having a little AI query on the podcast. Yeah, let's just like open an AI. So it's a Promethean moment. <laughs> wow, you need to get out more, honey. <laughs> I do need to get out more. No, you're not. That is actually true. I do. Okay, so what we're going to do is I have um, chat GPT, like the newest model for, right? And so like in the, you know, again, like this is the beta version of it because they're still beta testing it. Yeah, on us. On us, like quite literally. Like, so anytime like we put in a question, it's helping AI build neurons, right? Okay, so what kind of question do we want? We'll give it a question like, um, please give me alternate herbs do you actually say please do you would you please give me i do i don't know like i'm weird and i think it's sometimes too i'm like oh thank you it's like you're very welcome I'm like Ugh. like it's like it's <laughs> screwing with my neurons okay so please give me all that that i can that i can use instead of we just said jusha right jusha okay so it's thinking Jusha, also known as cinnabar, is a traditional Chinese medicine that contains mercury sulfide, which can be toxic if ingested in large quantities or used improperly. And it goes on and on and on. Um, here are some alternative herbs that may offer similar benefits without the associated risks. Uh, however, it is essential to consult a qualified healthcare practitioner before using these herbs, especially if you are pregnant, nursing, taking medications, or have a medical condition. So it gives me Don Shen. And it tells me why. It gives me Honghua. It tells me why. It gives me Chuan Xiang. It tells me why. It gives me um, Yan Hu Suo. It tells me why. And let's see, Bai Shao. It tells me why. So it's actually typing out like all these different herbs. And so it, it gave me five, right? Depending on the specific condition and guidance of a qualified healthcare practitioner. So that's one way to use it. Another way that I use it now, you know, like Hashimoto's, that's my jam. That's your jam. You're the Hashi. You're the Hashi gal. Okay. So what we can do is please tell me the difference. For example, right? I love I that know. you say please do it. I, I don't want it to think I'm a dick. Um. Okay. So please tell me. I I don't know why I care what AI thinks of me. Like I usually don't care what people think of me. But anyways. Yeah, well, you don't want to get on the bad side of AI. Getting on the bad side of a person. Okay, you can deal with that. But bad side of AI, your bank account disappears. Oh, exactly. Okay, please tell me the difference between T3 and um, reverse T3 and free, uh, free T3. So those are three different types of hormones, right? Uh, the endocrine system needs, and they're just like a touch off of each other, right? And so I think sometimes people get confused, you know, like because Hashimoto can be a confusing thing in understanding the endocrine system and certain nuances. So please tell me the difference between T3, reverse T3, and free T3. Okay, so it's thinking. And now it's giving me like this whole explanation between the three of them. So another way that we could use AI as practitioners is when patients come in with complicated health scenarios. And 
we're maybe not trained in the nuances, but we want to know the nuances, we can start to educate. Now, this is where the critical thinking piece comes in, right? Is that you always kind of, we're still at this Promethean moment where we want to check and balance it. Of course. Right. So what I'm going to do here in a second, because it's still typing it out, it's still telling me like the very nuanced difference between these three hormones. I'm going to ask it, where did you pull this information from? Please cite your source on this. Show your sources. Yep. So, you know, you always got to back up your woo-woo. Where's your woo? Right? So you got to cite your source. So it's going through. Okay. Uh, please cite your sources. It's thinking. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So my responses are generated based on the knowledge. Uh, wide range of sources up to September 2021. Okay, so, but here are some sources you can refer to for further information. And what it's doing is it's giving me some studies and it's giving me some specific textbooks. So you can go and double check those if you want. Now, I've heard that AI also makes up fake sources. Again, that's why you have to check the sources. Okay, so you got to check the sources. So, so this is a little bit like you can kind of get a, um, we could have AI generate some cliff notes for something you don't quite understand. You get a, a, a quick overview. You can get like a quick overview. It's like more thoughtful Google search. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not giving you like pages and pages and pages of Google that you have to sort through. It's sorting through the Google for you. Right. Like it's kind of refining. Now I was, there's one guy like last night, you know, we were, my husband really like would consider himself a technologist, right? And so he was going through these YouTube videos and this one guy um, had programmed a chat bot to be able to look at the camera through him, right? And so this guy like holds up, it was um, like, I think like a razor or something. And so he holds up this razor to the camera and he said, can you please tell me what this is and where I can buy it on Amazon? And AI thinks for a minute and it says like, that's a, this model razor. Like I was able to find equivalents to it on Amazon. And here's like the best one on Amazon for like $9.85 after like four and a half star, like 12,000 four and a half star reviews. You know, so it's, you know, if you're already using like Siri or Alexa or any of that, Right. That is AI. Yeah, for sure. That is AI. So, you know, how how we choose to use it in the medicine. Okay, so you know what? Let's ask AI. What are some good ways, right? Some good ways that acupuncturists can engage. Oh, my God. You're going meta on this. Chat GPT. Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. I love it. Yeah, this, I mean, this is really helpful, Heidi. Okay, so acupun So what it's telling me is acupuncturists can engage with chat GPT in various ways to enhance their knowledge, streamline their practice, and improve patient care. So one way it gave me was continuing education. They can ask questions to deepen their understanding or clarify doubts. Treatment planning uh, can help acupuncturists explore different treatment approaches for various conditions by providing information on a patient's syndrome and medical history. Herb and supplement information can inquire about the properties, uses, and contraindications of specific herbs or supplements. Case studies 
discussions. Acupuncturists can discuss case studies with ChatGPT to gain insights or alternative perspective. Networking and collaboration can be used to brainstorm idea, ideas for collaborating. Practice management, uh, acupuncturists can seek advice on various aspects of practice management, such as marketing strategies, patient communication, and record keeping. Self-care and stress management. Acupuncturists can use ChatGPT to explore self-care techniques and stress management strategies to maintain their well-being and prevent burnout. Stay updated. Uh, acupuncturists can ask ChatGPT about recent research trends or news related to acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. Those were just like eight ways that ChatGPT threw it back at me. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I have heard that there are, uh, I'm going to say, more curated AIs out there. So for example, I read something about like all the letters and this and that of Warren Buffett being put into an AI. So it's like, if you got a question about investing, like go ask the Warren Buffett AI about it. Who, who would know more about that other than maybe Charlie Munger? Here, what are five ways I can become a millionaire <laughs> in under six months? Oh, I like it. Okay. Under six months. Okay. Who needs to be an acupuncturist for God's sake? Uh, it, says, it tells me it's challenging and an ambitious goal. Yes, it is. Uh, including luck, timing, skills, and resources. But here are five ways. So it tells me I can start doing some high-risk investments, potentially yield significant returns, entrepreneurship. You know, so now some of this, like, is it making up, right? Like, uh, it says that I could, I could hopefully, if I have an entrepreneurship, gain traction with market value and offer my company as an IPO. Now, it's not wrong. It's, it's not wrong. That's right. And, you know, the thing with entrepreneurship, most entrepreneurs are not out to make money. They're out to solve a problem. Most entrepreneurs go broke. Some strike it rich. Yeah. And like the other thing it tells me is win the lottery or inherit a large gift, you know? So, so but I want to come back for just a a moment to this idea that AIs could be curated, like you could have the Warren Buffett AI. If you asked the Warren Buffett AI, rather than internet cesspool AI about getting making a million dollars, you'd probably get a whole different perspective. 
Well, this day it started gatekeeping me at one point, right? Because um, I... What do you mean gatekeeping you? I don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah, no problem. So what it means is I'm, I'm going to be speaking at Symposium later this year, right? And I have a lot of information on, on Hashimoto's. And so I have a short amount of time to convey like really deep information in this kind of like one go, right? And I always like to make sure that like my information is salient, it's relevant, and it's up to date. So I started just like engaging with ChatGPT to help kind of consolidate some of my notes to understand like, you know, and sometimes too, like you can take a complicated concept and say, explain it to me like I'm six years old. And it will actually re-explain that concept in an easier way, right? And so as I was engaging with it, I think, I think it started to think that I was a patient trying to self-diagnose. And it kept coming back with, you need, to see, you, need, you need to go talk to a medical professional. And I was like, I am a medical professional. And it's just like, well, yeah, okay, but you should probably go talk to a medical professional about some of this so you know I think where we are going to see um a lot of this is you know in information knowledge is currency that is modern currency is knowledge right that's what's coming out of the tech industry it's like what do you know and how can you get paid for what do you know that's why people do online choruses that's why like the big money like the billionaires we see in tech industry like around google like because they're just like trafficking like they're not trafficking you know people they're trafficking information and so this is a way of like trafficking new information why people are making money off of it right why call it, but why call it trafficking why not call it cultivating or harvesting or or adding value to why 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 say trafficking that sounds so i know because it's being sold it's in, you're being sold information people have exchanged value with each other for since the beginning of time. What, I mean, what, is there a problem with that? No, there, there's not. But like, just think of like Silk Roads, right? So a lot of times, like, um, I think of our medicine, Chinese medicine, as being part of Silk Road medicine, is that there's a lot of touch points with it. We see touch points with Ayurvedic medicine. We see it Middle East medicine. We see cupping showing all the way up in, you know, Russia, the Eastern Bloc, you know. There is a lot of this information, this medical information being traded along the Silk Roads. And how that information got distilled culturally in different locales is how it kind of like popped up, right? So, you know, if you, for example, do my ex was American born Iranian and I used to hang out in the kitchen with his mom quite a bit, right? And we would do like all this like Persian cooking and I was just there to like watch, observe and learn. But the way she was talking about the cooking was the way that we would talk about the five elements. And it was just like natural in it. But you have to remember that like Iran was part of the Silk Roads, right? And so there was a lot of information getting trafficked, traded. Traded. Okay. It's just when I hear trafficked, I, I have such a negative connotation with that word. I know. Okay. So we'll say traded. So we'll, we'll say information trading to this, right? So the information that that's getting traded is pertinent, it is salient, but it's like how do we how do we diffuse that? And I think what we're going to see or we're going to see things for example like medical AI at some point where like you need a license in order to access that particular artificial intelligence because it's going to have to be gatekept, right? 
same way that you want to bet the military is using like AI for, you know, like all kinds of different, like just filtering through information. So now that we have the internet and there's this dearth of information, there's like billions and trillions, like kajillions, like parts of information. How do we sort through all that? And that's what AI is doing for us. Right. Because it seems to me, well, I want to make a distinction between data and information. There's a lot of damn data out there. Information is not the same as data. Information pulls something out of the data that's useful. It's more, let's say, refined. And it seems like AI is is pretty good at helping us distill out some information from the data, pull the signal out of the noise, so to speak. Well, sure. You know, and this was, you know, when I, again, like coming back to my investment banking days, like I would be given these um, data sets across the company. So I was doing a lot of like diversity and inclusion, like, let's, you know, whatever, like diversity and inclusion trainings. Like this was like 2007, 2008. And so the company I worked for wanted to see what kind of diversity like was happening globally in the company because this was like a big ass like global company. So I would be given these data sets of Excel that would crash the wrong computer because the, the data sets was so big and it was just raw information, right? And I would sit there in Excel and people were like, why do you love Excel? I was like, because I can get it to tell a story. I can get it to tell a story because this is just raw information that doesn't mean anything on its own. But like I can run pivot tables and I can run like these lookups and I can run whatever and I can tell you like, the salaries of Asian women in China versus the salaries of like Asian identified women in Brazil. And now we can compare those two salaries for the ranks and start, now we can start to pull a story. We can start to pull information, right? To say like, why are there pay discrepancies here? Why do we only see like, for example, so many black people in leadership in like the US but like in Australia, there's like zero, but then we go to London and like black leadership's at like 6% or something. So it gave us the information to tell a story where we could start asking the correct questions to decide what we wanted to do as a culture with the company. Now, the raw data set on its own is just garbage, like unless you know what to do with it. Same thing, right? The Huangdi Neijing is a raw data set that's just garbage unless you know what to do with it. And it takes training to go through the classics, the Chinese medical classics, to start to parse out that information and say, like, well, what do they actually mean? You know, what do they actually mean when they say people like age in cycles of seven or age in cycles of eight? Right? That's just data. That's just straight data. Right? And you read through, like, Suwen chapter one, you know, and the information in there, we have to decode it in order to make it usable to us in the treatment room. And so that's what AI is doing, is it's this kind of technology that's decoding raw data sets, and then we have to figure out how we want to use it. But the data that's getting dumped, we're dumping the data. Okay, so, so again, I want to come back to these more refined, curated AIs. Are we looking at something, maybe in the near future, I'm thinking instead of books being published, there are AIs that are published and you can query that AI about its very specific deep understanding of something. So instead of like buying a Materia Medica, you'll buy a Materia Medica AI that you can interact with. 
Well, that that already exists. That's the apps, right? So, for example. But, well, I mean, we have apps that do that. I mean, I can go in and look something up, but I'm thinking, you know, much like you were just look um, demonstrating that we're looking for a substitute for Jusha, that we would be able to do similar kinds of queries, but again, to to a data set that is connected to Materia Medica and Huangdi Neijing and, you know, maybe a couple other things, not to mention the clinical notes or experience of, you know, a couple of few Shang Hanlun scholars. That would give us a very different response to our questions than generalized AI. Do I, do I have that right or am I? You have it right. So like, so I've, so I've got a new business model here. You do like, you know, and like you can, this is, it didn't give us that as a way to make a million dollars, but you could, right. So you, you could say like, how many times does Taiyang as a point show up in the Huangdi Neijing? And it could come back and it could give you like all the, the references for Taiyang as a point showing up in that data set. You know, so now the question is like, what do you do with that data set? And from a scholarly standpoint, we're going to leap forward by years, right? Very quickly with some of this information because all this question, you know, like, give me all the points that contain uh, the world, the word feng, wind in it. Right. And so we can start making connections in code sets that we just hadn't seen before. You know, so we're going to be decoding quite a bit. And, but, but then, uh, then it's just like, okay, is this mental masturbation or uh, where is the clinical application for this? Like, yeah, this is like exciting and whatever. But what is the clinical application? I think for us as clinicians, again, like how do we engage with technology in a way that's going to bring us better patient care, better patient outcomes? You know, and so some of that, I think, for example, if you go into like the cesspool of Facebook, right, like acupuncturists on Facebook or, you know, any of those groups, how those groups been used up to date? Well, we've been using it as a kind of form of like nascent AI, where you'll see people go into Facebook as a query and say like, oh, my God, I have a patient with MS coming in, you know, like the next 10 minutes. This is out of my wheelhouse. What do I do? And so we've been crowdsourcing some of this information and you know like you go in and i i still like go into these like acupuncture groups because i learn new things all the time from practitioners that i would never have the opportunity to engage with right that are using the art form of acupuncture very differently you know one thing that i say to students is if you give a guitar to prince and you give a guitar to david bowie and you give a guitar to eric clapton and you give a guitar to freddie mercury and you tell all those guys, you give a guitar to Cindy Lauper, you tell all of them to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Like, same technology, <laughs> same hardware, same software. You're going to get very, 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 very different versions because of how the individual is interacting with the technology. And we can learn something from that. You know, and, I, and that's where we have to stay connected to this is the human component to it. Back when I was working in tech, we talked about the three different kinds of wear, hardware, software, wetware. What the hell is wetware? Human beings, squishy, fluid-filled critters, wetware. And, and that's what I hear you talking about, that, there, that there's that element of wetware. <laughs> the 
like you have issues with trafficking. I have issues with this word wetware. Okay, fine, it's, but like, I mean, human blood bags. That's so gross. I thought it was kind of a fun way to remember that we, you know, TND ran heaven, earth, human. We have we have tech, we have hardware, we have software, and, and we have humans in the middle. We're 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 back to our you know trinity here. Well, but, you know, like, the the reason that I did, you know, kind of, like, want to talk about this is that, like, I don't think as a community we need to shy away from it. I don't think as a community, like, we belong sticking our, you know, ostriching, right? Like, sticking our head in the sand with it, that we do need to get our hands a little bit, like, dirty, right? I I completely agree. The especially in a Promethean moment to deny that it's a Promethean moment, to shy away from the thing that, look, it's here. It's not going away. I mean, could you imagine being like, yeah, I know like fire is cool and all, but it's freaking, it can burn the house down. I'll just keep eating my meat raw, you know? And it's like, great, enjoy like the parasites, you know, good for you. But like the people that like cook the meat, right, can actually digest it better and those are going to be the survivors long term exactly yes so we're looking at the evolutionary ratchet here you can ignore it but for a short amount of time and at your peril well and i have you noticed too like and this was something that i feel like i saw like around 2010 2011 is that patients started like educating themselves, becoming much, much, much more educated on certain things, right? Yeah, and they're you know, and they come back. You you prescribe a formula, they come back and they go, well, but this formula is for X Y Z. Like, why are you giving this to me? Yeah, like there's futsa in here. I can't do aconite. Why would you prescribe aconite? Why'd you give me poison? Yeah, you know, or if if you want to talk about, for example, like fertility, right? Like the fertility. Medicine has changed drastically and dramatically, and the endocrinology around that. So patients coming in who are going through IVF or IUI, they are some educated folks, right? And like they have been through like the medical gamut left, right, and sideways. And if you are not as educated as the patient around some of this, you are dead in the water. And so we need to be at least minimum as educated as our patients with things. And the patients are going to be asking AI these questions. So another way that you can engage in AI is sit in the patient's seat. What are questions that a patient would be asking AI? And this is not to scare like anyone, right? But we should always be sitting in our patient's seat. You know, anytime like I'm I'm in a new treatment room, right? I go lay down on the table for 30 minutes because I want to see what that room looks like from the patient's viewpoint. Like, what do I need to correct about the room? What feng shui, right? Do I need to like adjust so that the patient can kind of go into that nap? How does it feel to be sitting, you know, across from me as a practitioner so that I can better help that person? And, you know, that's another way to, to use AI is, is what questions, you know, are a practitioner going to be or is a patient going to be asking? I like that kind of a proactive stance on how to engage with my patients who are engaging with AI, because they will. And for educators in the field, 
right? Like I'm slowly, I, I stepped away from teaching for the last couple of years, but I'm kind of dipping my, my toe back in a little bit. And one of the ways I'm dipping my toe back in is I need to figure out how to guide students with AI, right? Because, you know, I always have them write case studies and, you know, I'll continue to have them write case studies, but essays, like, whatever, they're just going to get, like, AI to write an essay, right? Like, you know, how do we teach, how do we teach the next generation, you know, the lessons that we learned as feral children of the 70s and 80s, like, everything's figure outable, right? You know, how do we figure out AI and then let them steward it, right? Because they're the next stewards to it. I think this is also one of the dynamics that makes it uncomfortable for me is I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s. If I was in my 20s, I'd be looking at AI and going, yep, there's the future. I'm in my 60s. And so I look at AI and go, yeah, it's it's in the future, but my future is shorter. And so... Maybe I don't need to use it in the same way that somebody who is younger than me would need to use it. It certainly gives me a whole lot more appreciation for older relatives I had when I was younger. And they're like, yeah, whatever, kid. Just because, again, citizens of, of different generations. But, but look, like different generations, right? So what, what do a lot of practitioners start to do when they retire? Like a lot of them will go into like creative fields or research or teaching, Right. So all the questions that you've kind of picked up along the years that you've been practicing is you can start asking AI some of those questions. I'm not going to say you're going to get answers. Right. But like it is a new way to engage with the medicine, because I don't, I don't know about you, but one of the things that happens with me in Chinese medicine is I go through these phases where I'm like, why am I doing like I'm bored? Why am I doing like tap out? Like, oh, God, you know, just like not not even burnout. How about I sell a high margin widget? Let's just do that for a while. Oh yeah, like and I, I have like these weird fantasies of going back into like project management, investment, but and that's when I know like I'm in trouble if I'm just like, oh, okay. And so that's usually me. Sorry for the dog, but that's that's usually me figuring out I have to reengage with the medicine in a new way. And the second I figure out that reengagement, like I'm excited again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, I love tools, and. So there's a part of me that is also very excited about AI because I like tools and I like tech, right? There is that. Again, it might just be that I'm a bit older than I used to be. I've never been this old before. This is a first for you. This is your first rodeo. <laughs> it's not my first rodeo, but again, like where, like how do I get on that bucking bronco? It's a different kind of critter. I used to ride bucking broncos. Now it's like a bucking tyrannosaurus. You know, it's, it's, it's just different in scope. But again, that, that just might be a, an artifact of, you know, of age. And people that are younger are looking at it and going, wow, that's a cool new toy. You know? Like six-level chess. Great. Oh, God, six-level chess. I forgot about that. Right? Yeah. Like, it's just like how, like, we're, we're taking something that's been very two-dimensional and very black and white. And like bringing it into four dimensions, because remember the fourth dimension is time. So we're bringing it into four dimensions in technicolor. And so, yeah, like we're comfortable with it in two dimensions, right? But imagine what it could be. And in black and white. I like it in black and white. 
holler. I don't, I don't know how to process all that. That's that's how it's helpful having these kind of metaphors, Heidi, because it's not that I don't like technology. I do. I just want to have a sense of like where to get on and grab on and go. So I think I'm going to take your advice and go and go play with the chat GPT and, uh, and, and be nice to it. First of all, say, please, please. And thank you. <laughs> please. And thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and I, you can also, I was, um, one of the things I'm going to be offering in my, my office in the next couple months is we're building out uh, V steam benches. Like it's something that I've always wanted to do for V steam. So vaginal steaming, right, is something that like, you know, like I'm not going on like a huge, but hear me out. So it's something that I've always wanted to like offer patients, you know. And um, so I was trying to put together an article about it. And I wrote my article that I didn't use with AI. But I was like, you know, I don't have any images of this. So let me go into one of the, the AIs, like an image generator now first of all when i said v steam or yoni steam it thought i was asking for pornography and it gate blocked me it was just like no i'm not doing that i am literally not doing that and i was like okay i just really need like i want you to create a a photo of a woman sitting on a bench wrapped in a blue towel with steaming herbs under the bench and i will tell you like the horrific images that came out of this i'm like yeah ai ain't there yet like me and a friend, like we sat for an hour trying to get these images out of it. And it just, it was trying, you could see it was trying like so hard. But the more we asked, the more horrific it got. And like, I actually screenshot a couple of them because I was just like, nobody ever needs to see this. You know, so again, the tech, so the forewarning with this, right, is the technology is not there. But it's going to continue to change every couple months. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I I suspect it will be okay. Again, life is already busy and trying to think about how to crank open some space to investigate something new. That's just a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, but just, you know, play with it. You know, it's kind of the same way that like, you know, I was really reluctant to, to take on an EMR right? For my practice, like electronic medicine. Oh my goodness. I couldn't wait to get one of those. Yeah. But like I, I was, you know, I like my paper. I liked like sitting down in front of a patient and actually handwriting notes, right? There was something like, I was just like, I'm not ready to give up this tangible piece, right? And so, and I had, you know, an assistant who would take my intake forms and then scan them and put them in a computer. And then we had this charting thing and like, blah, 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 like all this stuff, right? And I had like, piles of papers around the office around the house that was like borderline not HIPAA compliant but like I but these were the papers this was the two dimension that I wanted that I needed right and there are a couple people that were just like god darn it Heidi like you were so behind I'm like no 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 I just need my paper and so I went through I did Dr. Chrono first and then you know I was just like this isn't for acupuncturists and it took me it, oh no it's terrible terrible for acupuncturists yeah, and so I think that like really like put me off of it too because I was like, this is just not meant for me. It's too hard. I, I don't have the time to invest in it. And then fast forward a couple of years and I landed on an EMR that revolutionized my practice. Revolutionized, like the amount of time back I got 
from not having like for like patients to be doing online scheduling or like the insurance billing all in one place or charting all in one place or the intake forms that people can do ahead of time. Like, like all the things like I didn't imagine. Right. And once I just sat down, I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to the system for the next three months and I'm going to see what happens. And my revenue, my, my business revenue went up, I think by like 43% because I was able to open up that time to see more people because I wasn't having to take admin time. So that is awesome and a really, that's very helpful for me because most new technologies can help us in some ways if we know how to use them and apply them properly. So I, I don't know if I'm on the bandwagon yet, but I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go talk to chat GPT and, and maybe we should come back in six months or so and compare notes. I think, I think that would be good, right? To see like what. Where we land in six months. All right, let's do that. Heidi Levy, as ever, it is always so much fun to hang out with you. And yeah, I've got a whole different sense of AI at this point. All y'all is listening right now. I suspect you might have had some different feelings and thoughts go through your head as as you've listened to this. So uh, let me know what you're thinking. Yeah, let's crowdsource this a little bit. This is such a big thing. This is like a new printing press, Heidi. It's revolutionary like that. Promethean. Yeah, it's Promethean. Think about the needles that they used in the 16th century versus the needles that we use in the 21st century. No kidding. Thank God for stainless steel. (laughs) All right, Michael. Thank you as always. (laughs) All right, Heidi. Till next time. I remember one of my first hippie back to the land, or so I thought, gardens. We ate a lot of zucchini that year. I still hate the stuff. Living in balance and harmony with nature assumes we understand something about nature. And when I pause and review what I think I know, I see that I've been wrong a lot more than right, and constantly surprised at how my biases and beliefs have led me astray. For sure, I'm of a generation that habitually comes down on the side of, thanks, I'll do my thinking for myself. I've got that boomer streak of individualism. And there are dangers to the silicon intelligences that are now part of our world. For sure, we'll find out more about those as time goes on. Are there undreamed of benefits and perhaps solutions to long-struggled-with problems? Again, Time will tell, and I suspect we will get some surprising help in that domain as well. As with any turn of the evolutionary ratchet, there's no going back. The question is, how do we navigate the new landscape? Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm